Welcome to Animorphs Anonymous, the podcast where we casually discuss the Animorphs one book at a time. I'm Casey. And I'm Alex. And we're here to talk you through the plot of each book. But more accurately, take you on tangent trips, factoid forays, and say, well, actually, as much as possible. Join us on the 1st and the 15th of each month, and we'll take you along on our mission. And we promise to have you back under the two-hour time limit. Ladies and gentlemen, I have a grave announcement to make. Incredible as it may seem, both the observations of science and the evidence of our eyes lead to the inescapable assumption that those strange beings who landed in the Jersey farmlands tonight are the vanguard of an invading army. Oh my gosh, it's so weird seeing your face. I know. But in a good way. Oh, well, I hoped my face was weird. No. Oh, well. What about when I did this? (laughs) Yeah, that was terrifying. Well, for the audience, um, Alex and I usually record on our telephones, and it's rare that we actually uh, do it via face-to-face, kind of. We're not doing it face-to-face, we're doing it on Skype Yeah. Um, today, because Casey forgot her phone charger in her boyfriend's backpack. So, <laughs> Well, we also just wanted to try looking at each other's faces as well. Which we had some concerns about that. <laughs> yeah, I'm super afraid that... Because there are times, like, when you're asking me a question, and I know that I'm completely alone in this room, but I'm sitting here like, oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) I'm making this face like, oh, I gotta tell her. Or, like, sometimes I'll grimace really, really hard because I'm like, oh, I have so much I want to say about this, but I've got to contain it. Jeez. Yeah. So So I'm really afraid my face is going to give something away. But, um, I think poker face. Far- I don't have a poker face. I mean, what I do for when I have to have a poker face is just laugh through the whole thing. So people always think I'm ahead. <laughs> but I'm never ahead. <laughs> you just cackle maniacally. I do. <laughs> Consistently. Good. Good. I hope it's disconcerting enough that people lose and I win in poker, which I don't play. It's usually go fish. <laughs> <laughs> go fish yeah that's legit i love that game it's a great game do you always win no i usually don't win but i do enjoy that game we do um king's corner sometimes although i'm not sure if it's real oh, like man. king's corner rule but we do i it. thought that was a type of solitaire it kind of is but it's like a multiplayer solitaire <laughs> But like, Doesn't that, like, <laughs> defeat the purpose? <laughs> well, that's why it's not solitaire. It's, like, solitaire you if go. you had multiple people, <laughs> right? Kind solitaire of. squared. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Actually, one squared is still one, so that Wait, doesn't work. Math. Like, math. Wait, I can, we can, we can workshop this. It's multiplayer solitaire. What would we call that? Double-a-tare? Quadratare. Quadratare. That's a cool-sounding word yeah. that I don't know if is actually real. No, no, I don't think it is. <laughs> We're playing Quadratare. Join us. <laughs> that sounds so badass. <laughs> kind of does. <laughs> God. Yeah, so that's basically it. I mean, I think you theoretically can also play King's Corner by yourself, but we don't, and okay. I also wouldn't. I played Yu-Gi-Oh by myself. Face up, face down. <laughs> Attack or defend. Oh my God. <laughs> I don't even know that I got super into you. Like, I like the TV show. Um, I didn't get super into the card game itself, 
but the soundtrack I would play on a loop. Good. Yeah. I don't know. It was just good. I mean, mostly that one song. Yeah, it's like, I can't think of any other song except for that song. The Power of Friendship one, where they drew, they all had to put their hands in a circle and they drew the face, and it was, what was her name? Taya. Taya? Taya was, uh, she does her intro with like, put your hands in the circle and we can all draw the face, and like, then we're connected forever, and then she sings a song about friendship. Wait, what? <laughs> that seriously it's a song i swear to god it is a song on the soundtrack is that like on the pokemon soundtrack with the the misty that sings her song about how much she loves ash yes it, like it's not in the tv show but it's on the soundtrack and it's got the voice actors that do that little intro is it like that maybe but i swear to god it was on the tv show too because there was that scene where they all put their hands in the middle and she drew the, the happy face on them Okay. I think. Hmm. I don't know. Maybe oh, I, this song was so vivid I could just picture it. <laughs> Jeez. I swear. Well, I mean. I swear it's I don't, on the soundtrack. I don't remember the original Yu-Gi-Oh! much because I've watched the abridged series so much that that is like canon in my brain. Apply the that handbrake, the you dumb broad. Apply the handbrake. <laughs> <laughs> I love the Abridged series so much. Oh my god. <laughs> I should rewatch that in my copious free time. Maybe that can be our next podcast. <laughs> you the, the Abridged podcast. <laughs> we review the Abridged series and how accurate it is to the original. Yes. Oh man, we could watch side by side comparisons. Oh my god. They're and exactly would... the same. But yeah, I swear to god, I after this podcast, I'm going to listen Wait, not listen. I'm going to find the soundtrack and find that song and send it to you because Good. I am so assured it was on there. Good. Okay, I'm ready. Okay, good. I'm glad I this will be was pleased happening. no matter the result. <laughs> Unless I can't find it and then you will be displeased. Maybe slightly, but I'll still love you. Oh, well, that's all that matters. <laughs> that's all I needed to hear. <laughs> <laughs> that's so good. I need um, to rewatch that too. Yeah. Yeah. A very Potter musical for those who don't know, which we've mentioned before on this podcast, I believe. Like f- three to four times. Yeah. And yeah. we've made references abound that we haven't addressed. So everybody go watch that. I think... And you'll understand what we're talking about. Yeah, for sure. And I think there was one where we did a couple references and we just said, if you don't understand the last minute of this podcast, please go watch a very Potter musical because your life will be enriched. We we chose not to edit it out because we want you to go and watch it. <laughs> That's really, this Animorphs podcast is really just a like multiple hour long ploy every two weeks to get you to watch a very Potter musical. Yep. And Hedvig and the Angry Inch. <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You should watch that, too. Get on our level, audience. Seriously. Oh, speaking of getting on our level, I was working on, um, like, taglines for this this week, or, like, maybe even just, like, calls to action about our podcast now that we've done enough that we kind of have an idea of what we're more about. Mm-hmm. And I realized what I think our specialty is, is just talking about every single relationship and character in the book as if they're a real friend of ours and we're gossiping intensely about them after (laughs) having heard everything from their perspective. Oh my god. Right? Yes. I was working on taglines about that because I was like, 
like just thinking about some of the other ones that are like more like comedy driven or like ones that are more about like the plots of the book and i'm like no we really just like talk about these characters as if they're our real friends <laughs> yep and that's it for all the good and bad that that entails yeah yeah that's for sure why was jake over at cassie's house for thanksgiving oh my god alex I did still, you hear about that i still believe exactly what i said <laughs> god <laughs> I'm sticking by my theory that they were supposed to go to Rachel's house, but because Naomi is such a shitty cook, they all had to go to someone else's house because she burned the turkey and Jake went to Cassie's. I like that. I will it's, not it's, diverge from this. It's kind of like in The Santa Claus with Tim Allen, and <laughs> he also burned the turkey and they went to Denny's. Oh no, at least they didn't go to Golden Corral. Oh, yeah. Hmm. God. Okay, let me tell you my story okay, that relates to last week's episode. Sorry, not last week's, last episode. Okay, so you know the uh, the hand finger thing that you were yes. so upset about? Yes. <laughs> so <clears throat> a uh, coworker of mine uh, got to go la- to uh, laser tag with her team. It's like a team building exercise or whatever. And she said there were a lot of kids there and they had to like, be in the laser tag arena with the kids but before they did that they did this weird like team building sort of thing where they had to lay their palms out flat and put their finger in another person's open palm and it was like a speed round where you had to like close your fingers around the finger in your hand while you were so like one person was doing this to one person but at the same time in their other hand they were doing the other thing, so that you either had... Oh, God, I'm doing a terrible job explaining this. But I can picture it so clearly, a large circle oh, of God. people all opening and closing, like, strange crab <laughs> creatures on each other's hands. Yeah, so, like, your left hand is gonna close on the finger that's in your hand, and then your right hand has your finger pointed into another person's hand. So you have to pull your finger away to prevent someone from closing their fingers on you. While trying to close your fingers on someone else's hand, basically. And the only thing I could think of was that fucking situation from last time. This and I was like, my, my friend would hate nightmare. this. Yes, I was like, <laughs> your face. You're so upset. I am so upset. Okay. These are my two nightmare scenarios. One, somebody putting, <laughs> not only putting their finger into my palm and me closing on it. But also me putting my finger in someone else's palm and them closing on it. And also team building. These are all my nightmares in one thing. With small children that you don't know and apparently they had really gross, sweaty, clammy hands. Me too! I always have gross, clammy, sweaty hands and children are terrible! (laughs) Oh my god. These are all my nightmares. Yeah, yeah. I immediately thought of you when she told me that and I was dying. (laughs) That's terrible. Oh my I, god. I just thought you needed to know. I'm sorry I did such a poor job explaining it. Oh my god. This is this would be one of those things like if you posted this scenario on Glassdoor, I would legitimately decline a job offer from this company in case they ever made <laughs> me do this. That's horrifying. Yes. Yeah, and I've never heard of that before. I thought you know, you've heard of like trust falls and I've heard of I don't know. Like blindfolding someone and leading them around is kind of a team building thing. I've never heard of this fucking hand grabbing situation 
Ew. Me either. And what does it prove? I don't know. I hate this so much. Anyway, I thought of you. You needed to know. (laughs) I'm glad that any traumatic hand-grabbing experiences will now make you think of me. (laughs) Remind you of me. (laughs) Which, much like last week when I saw an abandoned cup on the side of the road, (laughs) I thought of you. Thought of of me and my my grocery (laughs) issues. God. I really hope that there's no, like, psychologist listening to our podcast because they will be like... (laughs) These girls are damaged in so many ways. Oh my god. I saw something cute. It was um, like a little child's shoe, but it had a succulent growing in it. And it was just like on someone's lawn. And I was like, that's really adorable. Because you could tell it was placed there intentionally. If I just saw an abandoned (laughs) child's shoe, I would feel a little sad. But this was just so... Anyway. Like, does that mean that how to solve like all of... All of the problems here is just to find everything abandoned in the road and place a succulent in it. And, like, that's yes. the solution to our problem. Yeah, it's repurposing it, giving it a new goal in life. Your goal is now to hold the succulent in a very <laughs> cute manner. Oh, so is so the problem with abandoned things is just that they no longer have a goal? Yeah, it's like you see an abandoned stuffed animal. It's like you're no longer comforting a child. I don't know. If you're... a pile of groceries you're no longer going to feed a sad man and his son (laughs) a sad man and his son (laughs) i mean i don't i don't know i just some for some reason i found the the child shoe with a succulent like even creepier than just an abandoned child shoe like (laughs) i don't know like it's like instead of oh a child threw you on the ground and their parents are probably mad that they lost a shoe now it's like some sinister like children be warned we will succulate you if you come here oh my god (laughs) i love i love how we had the opposite reactions to this oh god Uh... (laughs) this is distressing I'm like, this is cute. And you're like, this is disturbing. Well, it's like this child stepped foot on our lawn, and so we turned them into a plant. Oh, God. Yeah. Sounds about right. (laughs) All right. Well, speaking of plants taking over the world and children. Oh, my God. (laughs) I was just about to, like, intro with the plant thing. That's great. Nice. See? Green everywhere. Green everywhere. Just like book number 11. What did you think of this book? Uh, I, you had mentioned to me prior to me reading this book that there was something about the plot in this book that was very like, what did you, how did you describe it? I think I said it was uh, such a common sci-fi trope that it was, yeah. you rolled your eyes when it happened. Yeah, yeah. Like, so I kind of went in being like, okay, what's this going to be? And it wasn't exactly what I was thinking it was, mm-hmm. but it, it I definitely see what you mean. Yeah. It was, it was fine, I guess. <laughs> I actually enjoyed it a lot more than I remember enjoying it previously. <laughs> okay. Um, and I don't know why exactly. Like... Before, because that's how I told you is exactly how I remember this book. It's like it's such a common sci-fi thing that I was like, ugh, really, really, and like there's so many plot holes based around like the explanation of it that are just like it just doesn't make sense logically. 
But then when I actually started like reading it and they were going through all of this stuff in the book, I just I think the writing was just so good that it kind of once I let go of the plot and just started reading it again, I thoroughly enjoyed it and how good the writing is and how um, interesting the character interactions are, which now that I'm thinking about it, it, they were very sparse. Like he really only interacted with Marco and Cassie in this book. He didn't really interact with Rachel or Oh, he did interact with Rachel, but not Tobias so much. No, sorry, I got that backwards. He did not interact with Rachel. He did interact with Tobias. But the interactions with Tobias were super weird. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely noticed that too. Yeah. Yeah, Jake in general, I think, in this book had an interesting turn to his character, which we can talk about. Yeah, let's recap this at the end. (laughs) We're getting way ahead of ourselves already. All right. Whew. All right. Notes together. I have notes and I organize them in exactly the same way this book is organized, and that is by timestamp. Ooh. I know. I wrote them all down, and some of them I thought were very interesting. So, anyways, one thirty-three p.m. Jake is telling <laughs> us about the looming threat of doom hovering over the earth. He explains the yurks are slugs that take over your brain, leaving you unable to move or speak or scream, which is all you want to do when they take over your entire body and laugh at your innermost thoughts and fears. I have a question. Yes. Already? This is the first time I'm seeing you record this podcast since we recorded episodes one and two. Yeah. Do you always read from your notes like that? Is it weird? Because like, no, 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 no. I just like, I always expected you that you were just like looking at Looking at your notes, but just kind of, like, saying all this stuff off the top of your head in the way that you do. Oh, some of it I do. We can edit this out if we want to keep the illusion. Oh, no, I don't, I don't care. Okay. <laughs> yeah, no, I, um, I read a lot from my notes because I write them in my saying things voice. Um, but as soon as we start talking further in depth into characters, I just talk like a normal person. Okay. But for um, the interactions... For synopsis. Yeah, synopsis. Because, like, I'm not very good at organizing in my head, like, one, two, three, four, this is how it happened. Because it's so interwoven that I can follow one thread, but when we dip in and out of the others, I get confused. Sure, okay. Yeah. I don't know why I never thought about this before, but... Oh, breaking the spell. (laughs) No, 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 no. Like I said, we can edit all this out. I was just like... It, it was interesting because I always made kind of a disconnect between that. Anyway, <laughs> well, no, that's that's kind of cool actually that you couldn't tell because I know that we're always worried whenever we record like anything for the podcast that's like kind of an intro or anything. We're like, oh, this sounds like we're reading from a script. So it's nice to know that like when I'm just talking to you through my notes that it doesn't sound like I'm just reading from a script. <laughs> Like, I guess I pictured you had kind of a bullet point list of notes being like, book, oh my god. <laughs> She's holding up a piece of paper and it's just like, it's a single spaced audience. <laughs> I don't single fuck around. Notes. Yeah, in each paragraph here is a chapter from the book. So Beautiful. I usually take between five and six pages. And... I have one page of notes in a text edit document with bullet points and most of the words aren't in caps. <laughs> um, I So, okay, here's the other thing. I have my questions for you in capitals on here, which are also interspersed with my notes. I also have a separate document 
that is just my notes that I add to for the overall plot that um, are things that happen in early books to bring up to you at later times. It's like, I already have two pages of notes that are just things that happen now that I want to relay back to you as we get towards the end of the, the books. So oh my god! I take a lot of notes. <laughs> so basically, you're the most amazing person I've ever met. <laughs> That's not true. I just take <laughs> notes. <laughs> My no, God! I just—I I feel get... like a slacker. No, no, I—I I think it's all part of this whole thing because, I mean, I've already read these these books, so like I remember a lot of this, and the notes are really just to help me read through as I like recap the plot for you because the whole like shtick that we have going on here is that I'm telling you the plot as a play by play. And you're reacting mm. to it as the first-time reader. So there's no yeah. reason that you would have this fucking dissertation every single book. <laughs> yeah, so my notes are entirely reactionary. Yeah, and mine are literally, okay. like, like giving me a synopsis of each chapter that we go through. And then it calls out the things that, like, I want to cover, you know? Yeah, so you're the giver, I'm the receiver. I will show you colors. Of the wind? Have you read the and book The Giver? Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, hey, good. Yeah. Good. <laughs> Sorry, I, I went Pocahontas and you went The Giver. <laughs> I don't, I I guess I just went there because you literally said The Giver. And I was like, oh, that is a book. And then I made that leap instead of Pocahontas, which was entirely logical when I said I will give you colors. Can you paint with all the colors of the rainbow? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> okay, now I have to tell that story since we're already here. So um, that comes from one time in college, there's this girl that went to school with us who was a year younger than us. So she came up to me one time when I was like drawing at my desk and she was like, do you think like this teacher of ours, she said his name, but obviously you guys won't know that. So she's like, do you think this teacher of ours can paint with every color of the rainbow? And I like paused for a minute. I'm like, well, like, yeah, probably like I, logically. <laughs> yes, he can mix every color of the rainbow. So yeah. And she kind of hesitated for, like, 30 seconds or so. Like, so we were just staring at each other in silence for a while. And she went, oh, shit, I meant Colors of the Wind. And then I was like, oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Art school, God. guys. It's wild. It never gets old. It never Love gets it. old. All right. Speaking of school. Oh, God. Jake was in school in this moment <laughs> where these things are happening. So, uh, da, 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 where was I? Okay, so he's talking about Yerks. Um, he's talking about how they launched a silent invasion led by Visor 3, their evil leader. And he, he really gets in-depth with this, in the invasion, and not so much about character descriptions, which was an interesting change. But then he talks about the second worst thing happening to the Earth right now, which is having to learn swing dancing in school. Square dancing. Square dancing. Fuck. Swing dancing is fun. Square dancing, not so much. That's the only distinction I had in my brain. Maybe what I did was just imagine... Square dancing so horrible, I just wanted it to be swing dancing. <laughs> Your brain rejected it. I did. <laughs> All right, so That's he's amazing. learning with his cousin, Rachel, who is mocking him loudly, which is hilarious. And then... Um, my favorite description of all time was when he had to do -si do And to paraphrase Jake, he says, it, consist it consists of stomping around like a big honking goober. In all caps. <laughs> <laughs> My question is, why? Why, was, why were they learning square dancing? They never come back to this, spoiler alert. Well, they'd come back to it one other time. But just in passing. Yeah. 
Um, oh, like in the future? Yeah, in the future. Or the past. Okay. Or the present. I was like, <laughs> oh. Oh, geez. Um, but yeah, I first of all, why are they doing this? Are they going to bring this up again? Is there a Sadie Hawkins thing going on? Aren't they a little young for Sadie Hawkins? I thought that was like a high school thing. My brain went all sorts of places. But did you never have to learn square dancing in school? I learned square dancing at the vacation ranch that we used to go to, but... I never had to learn any form of dancing at school. Maybe because I went to public school? Maybe they don't do that. No, there. I did. I don't know. I totally did. Really? Yeah. We had to learn square dancing. We had to learn the foxtrot. And then what we the? had to do uh, a complete, like, interpretive dance about a subject matter. And I remember this so vividly because I remember doing it and thinking, oh my God, why did we do this? This is so dumb. Because our interpretive dance was about going through a playground. And so like, I remember specifically one of the actions we did was an interpretive dance about going down a slide. This sounds like a nightmare now that I'm saying it out loud, but I kid you not, it happened in real life. What? Okay, audience, write in and tell us if you learned how to dance in middle school. Yeah. Because this is news to me. (laughs) We totally did. My middle school dancing experience was we had a school dance once, our first school dance, and nobody danced. Everyone just stood around, which I mentioned in the last podcast. So, what the fuck? (laughs) Yeah, we totally had to learn, and it was super awkward. Yeah. Like, I can't. I, to this day, I remember doing, like, it's one of those moments of 100% clarity of, like, doing this interpretive dance of going down a slide and thinking, I've never looked so stupid in my life. Yeah. So, like, I was really... This Jake thing was resonating with me when he's like, oh, my God, why? I'm like, I know. My other question was, he didn't allude to any other kids being there. So I was just picturing, like, him and Rachel alone in a classroom just do-si-doing to, like, music. (laughs) See, I was picturing a bunch of kids doing it, but, like... Because he mentions the teachers there who takes, like, a Uh sick pleasure and making them do things that are grinding on their last nerve and the way that he says it makes me think that there's like the the whole class is there okay well they're square dancing and it's horrible yeah they are and jake considers for a second throwing rachel into a wall after she's mocking him but then mentions that he doesn't want to make her mad um and then it gets worse because rachel says something like oh cassie you came here just to watch and cassie's standing at the door like apparently laughing so hard she's crying and jake's like well at least she doesn't feel sorry for me because that would have totally ruined like any she likes likes me vibe that was going on and yeah i know right so middle school um and then jake grabs cassie and is like what you're gonna laugh at me all right let's dance and so he tries to make cassie do do And it doesn't specifically say this in the book, but to save herself, I truly believe that Cassie dropped this bomb on him to make him stop. She goes, Tobias has something big to discuss with all of us. And then suddenly the fun is gone and Jake is not having a good time. And then flash, Jake is falling through dense forest for just a few seconds before being brought back to the classroom with Cassie, who thinks he just zoned out for a minute for some reason. Um, and then he says, both moments were just as real. Dun, dun, dun. I know, foreshadowing. There's plenty of good, I mean, that's not really foreshadowing, but there's plenty of good moments of foreshadowing in this book. So, cut to 3.08 p.m., an hour and a half and a few minutes later. Nice. Yeah. Good math. (laughs) Thank you. 
I, you mathed good. I really want to prove that I know how clocks work after our Megamorphs episode where I proved <laughs> oh, right, I did yeah. not know how clocks worked. <laughs> Look, guys, I can read time now. Yay. Oh, man. You need an axe in your life to tell you what time it is. Oh, my God. That would be so helpful. You have no idea. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. Anyways, 3.08 p.m. Jake and Marco are walking home together from school, and Jake is explaining how they have to be careful to stick to their to their routines so as not to arouse suspicion so like all five of them knew each other before this happens but he makes sure that he's never seen with cassie or rachel too often and he's always hanging out with marco and you know they all keeping up security awesome job jake way to go and uh marco's joking around saying that he thinks the big news is that tobias found some excellent roadkill that he wants to share with everybody so there's that <laughs> um Derp. yeah right thanks marco so Jake's humoring him when Marco spots a bird of prey and goes, is that anybody we know? And it turns out it is Tobias who tells them to hurry up and morph so they can get on the way. So they, they quickly make it to Marco's house where they morph in Marco's absolutely disgusting room where there's laundry and dirty socks all over the floor. This... My mother would be horrified. <laughs> God damn it. See my bed is made? Tell your mom. <laughs> <laughs> God. It still, to this day, haunts me. <laughs> oh my god. One time in college, my mom saw our room when we were in the midst of moving out of the dorms, and she commented how it was such a mess. It scarred Alex for life, and now... <laughs> she, I never have someone being so disappointed in me. And the other thing to note here is that Plan Ahead Alex did not actually have any boxes to move into, she had only garbage bags stolen from common areas to move into. So it's not like this was an organized mess, like moving, putting things into boxes. I legitimately just took everything I owned and put it over every surface on my side of the room. So she was right to be horrified, but it's still <laughs> to this day. Every time she came over after that, I'd be like, look at my room. Look how clean it is. <laughs> Anyway, Marco's room is disgusting. It's disgusting. Um, and so they're morphing, and Jake going down as a peregrine falcon is glad that his sense of smell is not really there. Which is true. Birds don't have a great sense of smell. Good accuracy, Yay. Jake. And uh, then they jump up onto the window, jump out, and they are flying. And Tobias swoops in, says he's leading them to the Safeway, where there's a congregation of high-ranking controllers, and not a sale on gourmet birdseed, Marco. Which, it always laughs makes me laugh when Marco says jokes about birdseed and Tobias. Because hawks don't eat birdseed. Yeah, not cool, Marco. Yeah. In case anyone had any doubts, they are on the West Coast, because that's where Safeways are. Yay! Yay! <laughs> Have no more information other than that, because they're very widespread. But I was all like, hello! <laughs> now we know. What? Now we know for sure. All right, 3.51 p.m. The kids are flying, which is totally awesome. Tobias starts barking orders at them to spread out. And I said, I mean, it is his forte, but this book was pretty weird in Tobias's voice, which I think we'll get into soon. Yeah. Um, so he leads them to the Safeway where he shows them the building. And when they see it, they can see that one of the walls is knocked out. There's giant skid marks through the parking lot that has torn up the concrete and a huge hole in the wall. And then he goes, okay, now one by one, just like do a drive-by, like check it out. And they realize that Chapman's in charge of this construction cleanup crew, which being a vice principal is a little bit odd that he's in charge of this cleanup crew at the Safeway. So it can only mean one thing. The Yerks are afoot. Dun-dun-dun. Dun-dun-dun. 
So um, finally someone notices that one of the guys on the roof has a machine gun. And they're like, well, Jake, what do we do? And so he's thinking about it when suddenly, flash, he's deep in the jungle looking into glittering eyes. And he can barely see the glint of fangs. And uh, it's about to lunge at him. And then, flash, he's back to flying. So he recovers, says nothing to anybody. And uh, he says they have to go. And since they're working so quickly to clean up the Safeway, that this mission has to happen tonight. No other options. No one is excited about that. And Jake says he'd be more worried if they knew that he was going crazy on top of everything else. Because nobody wants to know their leader is going crazy. Casey, what are your thoughts on this? Um, what specifically? Well, you're. I know that you're... Like, one of the big things you've said so far throughout the series is, like, the kids just need to, like, talk this out or have communication skills. So, like, when Jake was like, I need to hide this because I'm the leader and I have to remain strong, I was like, I feel like Casey will have some insight on this. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) So, I mean, I definitely feel like this is a weakness throughout the team is withholding information from each other, but especially with Jake, who has a sort of self-sacrificial mentality about him that drives me a little bit crazy, but I understand why he's doing it. Um, and, like, my question at this point in the book, because, like, over and over in this book they mention he's the leader, but he doesn't really feel like he's leader material. Mm-hmm. Like, he, like, he's very self-aware that everyone thinks of him as a leader, but he doesn't consider himself a leader. And I was just like, what would his role be in the team if he wasn't the leader? That's kind of like his go-to title. Yeah. But but I think the best leaders are pretty modest about the fact that they're leaders. They're not like, oh, yes, I'm the leader. Everyone has to listen to what I say. Yeah. And I think that that what you just um, were like that entire answer that kind of encapsulates the whole plot of this book. Like, that's exactly (laughs) what this whole interaction is about or this whole view perspective from jake is about but if Mm -hmm. he wasn't the leader i feel like he uses that like i'm the leader to like push him to like make the decisions and feel brave and go into these fights if he wasn't i mean he would have just washed out like i don't think he would have he wouldn't have been a good member of the team he would have just been like i'm scared my brother's a controller i gotta go yeah because he's always talking about how scared he is which the others do too but i notice it a lot more with jake yeah um and like all the other characters have such an extreme property about them like marco's the strategist rachel is the tank jake's kind of like a little bit of everything yeah which is probably what makes him a good leader right but does that also wash him out like you said so much that he doesn't really have a strong point. And if he wasn't the leader, would he even fit in that well on the team? Yeah, I don't think he would. Yeah. I don't think he would at all. Uh, I have more thoughts on this, but I'm going to save it for later on because I think it'll okay. be more relevant. So, 4.40 p.m., the kids land in the woods to meet up with Axe, who comes galloping into the scene and gracefully jumps over the kids' heads because he's a drama queen. Oh, my God. I said the same thing. Oh, my God. Never underestimate the value of a dramatic entrance. He doesn't. He really doesn't. Like, this is every book so far. Like, let's... The first book that he was introduced... Because we he, he was rescued in four. 
In four, he yeah. knocked them out. In five, he's galloping dramatically through a pasture. Like, I don't even remember six. That was Jake's other book. So I feel like he be- he was, like, galloping through the woods with Tobias. And then it was, like, the last book we read, he, like, again, jumped over Rachel's head as she was sitting on a log. And this book, he jumps over all of the kids as they're in the woods. Like, he's so dramatic. He's a drama queen. And I don't know if this is Kay Applegate being like, look how weird he is. Or if it's Axe being like, look how weird I am. You know? <laughs> like, I'm not sure where the motivation is behind all of these dramatic flourishes. I feel like it's Axe. It's 100% Axe. Like, <laughs> here's my reasoning. Because I can't okay. imagine K.A. Applegate going into a character and saying, like, I really want to make this a dramatic moment, so I'm going to have him do this, like, leap over their heads, like, introduction thing. I think this is 100% her getting into Axe's head and being like, what would Axe, like, crazy Axe, like, eat goobers off the floor of the movie theater Axe do in this situation? The only option is this entrance. <laughs> oh my god. That's why I love Axe. <laughs> yeah. He's so ridiculous in all manners. He is. Everything. He so is. All right. So Axe does his dramatic entrance. Um, Tobias caught up Axe on the way over. So they immediately launch into like the, we have to make a plan. So they're like, we can go cockroach. We can go fly, but we have to like cross four lanes of traffic. So they're like, we'll go fly. Marco and Rachel have some interesting banter here that I pointed out where Marco says that he wants to change his vote now that he knows it's a fly. And Rachel says, well, we didn't vote, but if we did, you'd say yes, because you don't want to look like a wuss in front of the girls. And Marco responds that, unfortunately, she does know him, and that's true. That's exactly what he would do. But I don't think Marco would do that with Cassie. I think it's just, once again, Rachel says yes, so Marco says yes. Mm Mm-hmm. That's my note on that. And actually, that's the entire rest of my notes on the page that I stopped reading. We're all about that. Mm-hmm. All right. 5.15 p.m. They leave this meeting point. They all go home. Jake gets home to his dad, who's already on the Lazy Boy in front of the TV. And he realizes he completely forgot that tonight was the big fight. And that his dad paid $40 on pay-per-view. And I wrote... Honestly, I don't think the rates have gone up since the 90s. I believe fights are still like 40 to $50 on pay-per-view. That is accurate. Wow. Having first-hand experience in this, I think it was probably six years ago. I think my ex came over. He really wanted to watch a fight. And... But he wanted to watch it on our TV, so my mom had to pay for it. What the fuck? And he's fuck? like, I'll get you back. And he never paid her back. Of course he didn't fucking pay her back. He's a scumbag. Anyway... So, yeah, but it was about that much back then. That was for WrestleMania, I think, though. So not a UFC situation, which I imagine this was fight. This fight was. I think so, but I think um, a friend of mine does watch fights, and, like, he... I believe he told me recently, like, the rates were like, oh, I don't have to pay $40 because I got this, like, package thing, and so now it's, like, free, and... It was in passing, but I'm relatively sure these are the same rates. Which is interesting. It's weird that uh, something hasn't gone up in price since the 90s. It's escaped inflation. Wow. That's that's weird. That's a weird thing to have escaped inflation. It's so extra. Anyway. Anyways, yeah. So, Jake does his homework. <laughs> he hopes that the fight is over quickly. It is not. Spoilers. It does not end quickly. So, Jake is 
he's like, I need to have this male bonding time with my dad and, and his friends. And Tom is there, too. And Tom is just as agitated as Jake. Because he's, of course, wanting to get over to the, the Safeway as well. Check out this bug fighter thing. So, um, finally, the fight ends. And Jake asks to take the tape to show Marco right this second. And uh, Tom starts teasing him. His dad is saying something like, it's night, so like you can't ride your bike over there. You can walk, and you can go. And uh, Jake, in the middle of this, flashes out. He's in the jungle. Marco is bitching about something. He catches, like, two lines of what Marco is talking about and then flash back in the living room. And he's very thrown off. So Jake gets out of there. He flies out to the forest to meet up with everybody, and he completely botches the landing, trips, like, head over heels, rolls on the ground as a falcon, and, like, everybody's kind of laughing. Cassie tries to help him up, but he's already demorphing, so she just kind of, like, flips him up, and he demorphs. Yay! <laughs> she throws him she throws him to the ground. <laughs> Boom. Yeah. So then uh, Jake suddenly feels this horrible sense of dread, and out loud he says, should we do this? And Rachel says, yes, of course. And so they go do it. At this point, I had a suspicion that this was going to be some kind of time paradox butterfly effect sort of thing. That's when the inkling started. Yeah. It was his set, his random sense of dread that he experienced after this most recent flashback. I'm like, oh my god, did someone die and they had to go back in time and change the timeline and fix everything for fuck's sake? <laughs> that was my initial thought. That too, was, was very close except the opposite. So, 8.19pm, the kids more fly. It's disgusting, of course. They talk about how awesome flies can fly, and then it starts to rain, and we get some interesting perspective of how deadly the rain is, because at first they say it's like mortar shells around them, like the ground is exploding, but they can kind of dodge it. Um, and then Tobias says, you're going backwards, they're going towards a dumpster, they switch direction, they go towards the grocery store, but right as they're going over the highway, the rain gets really, really heavy, and Tobias goes, I have to go down, I can't fly through this, and uh, Jake is getting pelted with raindrops and ends up right in the way of an oncoming truck. I have two thoughts. One is that this is either California in the wintertime or it is Seattle. Because um, it doesn't rain in California, not in the wintertime. Um, <laughs> and my other thought is, have you seen A Bug's Life? Yes. Remember at the end when they're flying in the rain and they're bugs and it's, it's raining and they're like getting hit with all this shit? Yes. That's what I was thinking of. This is that... That's exactly what happens. <laughs> like Yes. Anyway. Yeah. Anyways, 8.25 p.m. Jake flashes back to the jungle. A poison-tipped spear is hurtling at his head. And then, flash, he's back to missing the windshield by a millimeter. They end up making it the rest of the way across the highway, only being hit by rain a few times, but no other near misses. And they make it to the store, where they realize they picked the perfect morph, because there are flies everywhere. All the Yerks did was use earth movers, once again, earth movers, to push all of the shit in the store to one side of the store, <laughs> which I don't know why they would decide that was a good thing, but whatever. I mean, they could just drake and beam the shit and it could have been out of the way and not rotting. That's true. Maybe they were saving some of the food for later, or maybe the taxons were going to eat some of the food. I don't know. Oh yeah. Why didn't the taxons eat some of the rotting meat? Yeah, dummies. I'm just picturing, like, human controllers standing around, and they're eating, like, ice cream bars as they're, like, <laughs> evaluating the situation. Because <laughs> that's oh. what I would do. What if the hork were eating ice cream bars, too? Oh! What, what would a hork do for a Klondike bar? Destroy a Safeway? <laughs> <laughs> just 
<laughs> I'm just imagining them now with their little like clawy dinosaur hands with their elbow blades <laughs> and their wrist blades just like nomming on like a little ice cream. That's bar. so cute. That is so cute. It's almost as cute as Mr. Three stomping his little hoops. These fools. <laughs> All right. Well, anyways, anyway. <laughs> there's flies everywhere because the meat is just rotting and the Yerks uh, push everything to one side. So they're like, let's go to this giant thing in the middle of the room. And Cassie's big idea is to land on the bald spot on Chapman's head and listen in to what he's saying. And like somebody was like, I think it was Rachel, is like, that's dangerous. And she's like, no, I've done this before. <laughs> so anyways, um, Visitor, three, or Visitor 3, Jesus, Chapman is saying that it's an experimental bug fighter and it crashed here and it needs to be cleaned up in three hours or they're in big trouble with Visitor 3. The technicians say, no problem, and he goes, okay, because if it's like three hours and one minute, I'll feed you to Visitor 3 myself. And uh, they're saying, no problem, no problem at all, we'll have it ready to go before then. So Rachel's big suggestion here is that they steal it, and Jake goes, yeah, we could go and park it on the lawn of the White House. And then that actually becomes the plan. God. Yeah. Whatever. 8.32 p.m. <laughs> The kids enact this harebrained scheme, which includes Tobias doing a lap around the Safeway as a distraction while the rest of the team steals the bug fighter. Which, this is stupid. So Tobias zooms in through this hole in the roof that they've created for whatever reason the Yerks do things at this point in the book. And Tobias zooms in, starts doing laps around the store, and they're like, this is going okay, and then people start shooting at him. And Tobias is like, this is still okay, oh god, that was a near miss. And then somebody breaks out a machine gun and starts trying to mow Tobias down with a machine gun. And uh, the guys on the roof with the other machine guns, I guess, are blocking his exit. So Jake screams, get in the bug fighter. And after a moment, Tobias does. And this is how Tobias winds up on basically his first mission for real since becoming a hawk. <laughs> <laughs> like he's in in his own book he was on that mission kinda but this is like the real like Tobias is on the mission mm -hmm. so um they he gets in there blah 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 Axe closes the door right after Tobias makes it in the Yerks are screaming and flipping out cause they figured the Andalite Bandalites are in the ship and they're stealing it so Axe is now realizing he might not actually know how to fly this thing and he does find the on switch and then Marco says, hey, maybe next you can find the get the heck out of here switch. And Axe does. And he asks, like, is the plastic sheeting going to be, like, he says something like, it, can we get through this plastic sheeting? And Jake says something like, let's find out. Like the slightest breeze <laughs> couldn't knock over plastic sheeting. Oh, my God. Yeah, that was weird. It, it was a weird throwaway comment, but it was very weird. Yeah. So Axe obliges, he punches through the plastic sheeting on the wall, and everybody but Axe goes tumbling, and Axe says, I apologize, I forget that humans fall down a lot. Sick burn, Axe! I tell you, he's a drama queen slash hilarious, and nobody will acknowledge Sassy boy. That. He's so sassy. Sassy boy. The sassiest. 8.19 p.m. Wait, no, we already did that. Blah, 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 blah. 8.42 p.m. So they've now stolen the bug fighter. Axe is working to control it, but it's not going well. And he asks for some help because this was made for taxons and he doesn't have as many arms and hands and shit as a taxon. So Jake jumps on the weapon station. Marco and Jake have a super Star Trek moment where Marco is saying, fire, fire the photon torpedoes in a Jean-Luc Picard voice. 
And uh, then Jake actually does fire the Draken beams, and they both, like, freak out. They're both like, that was so cool! So, that kind of And Cassie's just like, boys with their toys. Boys with their toys. Yep. Mm. Um, And then Axe says, oh, our cloaking's not online yet, and uh, there's some things fast in approach. And it turns out to be two military fighter jets. And so Axe, like, quickly hacks into their radio signal so we can hear the conversation between the two fighter jets and, like, I assume mission control. And uh, the fighter jet's like, this is an unknown object. And the other one replies, like, way unknown. And then, uh, <laughs> I know, right? Thanks, guys. Like, way unknown, man. It's like, <laughs> oh, man, no idea. These are, like, super unknown to us. <laughs> like stoner pilots. <laughs> they kind stoner of temple pilots. What kind of cover band is that? I... A stoner stone reggae, anyway. a reggae stone temple pirate pirates. <laughs> <laughs> stoner temple pirates. That's like a reggae reggae. <laughs> oh my god! What's happening? My words are breaking. A reggae steel drum band, stoner temple pirates. New band. We call it. We call New it. New band name. We call it. That's TM, TM, TM. <laughs> yeah. So, um, anyways, X punches it again and takes them all the way out to the Red Sea, which the kids know immediately, which is impressive because I would not immediately be able to distinguish one sea from the other. So kids want to hang and out she- here for a moment, but X says, no! And Jake is a little shocked because he's like, X is never rude, but then they see the blade ship is tearing after them. Yay! Yay! <laughs> so... 8.54 p.m., the Animorphs need to decide what they're going to do, if they're going to outrun this thing, or if they're going to fight it. Now, they can't really fight it, because they're hopelessly outmatched in this tiny bug fighter against the entire blade ship that took down the Andalite fleet, but they might be able to take one lucky shot. And Jake says he's feeling lucky, even though he's not feeling lucky at all, and that's a lie. And Punk. X turns them around to face the blade ship. Yay. So Axe says to Jake, take aim and wait for my go. And Axe starts flying them in, and he's like, not yet, not yet, not yet. Okay, go. And Jake fires into the control room, or the main hub, whatever you want to call it, of the blade ship. But right at the same time, the blade ship is firing back, and then there's a brilliant white light as the Drake and Beams meet, so bright that they can see through their skin, into their hand bones, and Cassie's teeth. And suddenly the kids are tumbling around the ship in a washer-like spin cycle and crashing into each other. And Tobias is flapping uselessly around and Axe is crushing the children with his body. And Rachel <laughs> is, like, knocking the wind out of Jake. And shit's just going badly. At least nobody took Axe's tail blade oh, to the face. I wonder if he, like, tucked it away as they were tumbling around so as not to hurt any of the children. Yeah, he was just, like, holding it face down in his hand like you would with the scissors. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Like, he pulled his tail blade through his legs and just did, like, two <laughs> yes. hands and, like, held it like this <laughs> with his yes. two weak, too many fingered hands. Oh my god, that's so cute. <laughs> that is so adorable. I don't want to hurt my friends. And so it's just, like, he holds, holds it between his two hands flat and, like, and he's all curled up because his tail has to come through his legs and so he's, like, all curled around it holding it. Oh my god. Oh, oh my god. Please draw that for me. Yes. I need to see this. That's adorable. That is adorable. Aww. <laughs> uh, oh, jeez. 
Okay, so Axe is adorably holding his tail blade as they spin around the room. And then, (laughs) I know, it's so cute. And then everything steadies. And now they are flat, but they are careening towards the ground at a faster than they should be going speed. And so Axe goes to grab the controls and help. And Rachel points out that the blade ship was also crashing, but it was going to crash first. And I think it's Margo that asked her, like, does that make you feel better? And she says, like, a little bit. Just a little bit. So, um, then Axe goes, we have 10 seconds to impact, and Jake suddenly flashes back to, to, I wrote square dancing this time. Apparently I did read the book. (laughs) Go me! So he flashes back to square dancing with Rachel, and then, boom, they're on the ground. Next. Back to reality. Whoa, there goes gravity. Whoa. Okay. I agree. I agree. That's my contribution. Thank you. Well, we are now at time unknown. Time stamp unknown. And uh-huh. Jake wakes up with back pain and a pounding headache. And I wrote... Me too. <laughs> that's exactly <laughs> my thought. I wrote that's pretty good for what he just went through. <laughs> fucking kids. Because oh my God. I would be like... If this happened to me, I'd be out for like a month. That's right? legitimately how I wake up every morning. Like, oh yeah, my oh, head's man. pounding and I can't stand. Remember, kids. remember when we could go through a bug fighter crash and just jump right back up and get to <laughs> get back to business? Oh, oh God! Oh man! Did I tell you that not to derail us again? Um, but do it. Did I tell you about the the moment where I fell off a horse for the first time in a decade and I was horrified at my own body? No. So. Um, it was legitimately about a decade between horse falls. So I was like maybe in my teens, my mid teens, the last time I fell off. And then, uh, it happened in my mid twenties and I'm normally like, I'm used to kind of, unless you hit your head really hard or like you go down and like crunch your neck, I'm used to like being able to just pop back up when you fall off. So I like, I picked my timing. It was like a good fall where I had a chance to kind of like get my wherewithal before bailing off the horse. But I mm-hmm. hit the ground and I went to pop back up and all of a sudden I just couldn't. Like my body was like really heavy and I was kind of like ungainly like trying to get traction for a minute. And I realized like, oh my God, in the decades since I've last fallen off, like I don't have the same body I used to. <laughs> I am a broken old person. (laughs) Right? Yeah. Isn't that terrifying? It is terrifying. It's like, holy shit, I can't recover like I used to. And it's like, now if I sit weirdly on the couch, my neck hurts for like two days. Oh my god. If I I sit on the couch for like ten minutes in a weird position, I, I feel that for the next couple of days. Oh god. Like, what the Fuck. Yeah, seriously, what the fuck, body? Like, should we be taking vitamins? No, those are useless. Are <laughs> I think they are. I think you pee most of them out. Oh. Yeah, I don't know. All I know is that my body is quitting on me. As soon as I hit twenty-five, I was like, "Oh, I, what's happening?" Yeah, yeah, that's problematic. And now I'm kind of worried about breaking something because, like. I've broken a lot of useless things that I don't really worry about getting fixed, like ribs and tailbones and toes and things. Yeah. But, like, now it's like, oh, if I break something, will I be able to just ignore it while it heals Mm. into a weird shape and then ignore it more? Yeah. (laughs) Inaction is another choice when making actions. 
that was a terrible paraphrase of um, a quote from Avatar where King Boomy says, like, you have 25 choices and inaction is one of the 25 choices of... Oh, yeah. 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 I always think about that and I always laugh because I'm like, inaction is my favorite choice. <laughs> but apparently you can get hurt being inactive, too. True. Very true. I think we're all just going to die, much like the children, because they're trapped in the Amazon rainforest. That's right. (laughs) They're trapped. Which, much like Australia, everything is poisonous and wants to kill you. Yes. Yes, agreed. So, um, Jake wakes up with this mild pain, and uh, there's a cacophony of noises all around him, and he now knows he's in the jungle, and that it was the square dancing that drove him into madness. (laughs) <laughs> so he tries calling for the others but his voice can't make it through the dense vegetation he does notice that there seems to be a distinct hole in the trees and he can follow that for a while and while he does he calls out to the other animorphs and uh he calls out like marco cassie rachel and then tobias swoops in. he's like what about tobias because <laughs> i don't know it was like this weird fucking like seinfeld intro like and tobias is here <laughs> but whatever did somebody say ron <laughs> No. <laughs> oh god. Yeah, there was a baseline. Said that in the book. <laughs> yeah. It gave you the like Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, uh yeah. so Tobias spots him and leads him back to the crash bug fighter and he's kind of catching him up on the others like, "Yeah, they're they're fine. They're all alive." But Cassie almost landed on top of a giant snake and I mean huge. And uh then they get back to the ship. They have to figure out where they are and Cassie's pretty much worked it out at this point. She's like, we're either in Central South America or the Amazon because of the prehensile tails on the monkeys. Yay? Cassie explains it all. Cassie does explain it all. And then she gets really snarky later in the book after, like, she's, like, figuring this shit out by these, like, little clues. And then they're, like, Marco asks her later on something about, like, oh, who are these people? And Cassie goes, what do you think I am? An encyclopedia? It's like, well, and then, yeah. and then at another point, she's like, I don't really know, like, rainforest animals that well. And I'm like, you knew enough to know that, that Amazon rainforest animals have prehensile tails and African animals don't. Yeah, and her like, mom works I didn't know that shit. fucking zoo. Whatever. Whatever. And then, Whatever. um, and then Cassie brings up the other, uh, a point that I, I think she harps on a few times, which is that it shouldn't be daylight right now. So she wants to know when they are. And uh, then Axe drops the bomb on them, says that it was a simultaneous crashing of the Draken beams that created a Serio rip, and they have moved in time. And Jack, Jack, Jake asks forward or backwards, and Axe says, yes, definitely one of those. (laughs) Isn't time relative? Definitely one of those. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Both. All. Yes. None. I mean, technically they moved... None. Wait. Some? Sideways? Sideways. Dimensions, too. No. Okay. Yay! Well, yeah, because it's now 1.22 p.m. again. So they moved same, slash backwards, slash same. So every time there was a timestamp, I got the, like, the, the sound from 24 in my head. Like the dun-dun! I was just gonna do it! <laughs> Wait, was that, from, was that from 24 or was that from a different show? Oh, wait, no, that's from Law & Order. Oh, you're right, you're right, you're right. Damn it. What was the 24 one? Oh, the boop, 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 boop. But with the boom, 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 boom underneath. That's good I'm sorry. to know because I never really watched 24, but I did watch Law & Order. So as soon as you said that, I was going to do the dun-dun. And I'm like, wait a minute. Yeah. 
No, that's Law and Order. It is Law and Order. Yeah. Sorry. We'll save it for the Law and Order cast. All right. 1.22 p.m. Again. So the kids are summing up what they know and what they don't know. Axe knows it's 1.22 p.m., but not what date or year it is, which blows my fucking mind that Axe apparently internally knows the time, but not the date or the year, and also that it wouldn't switch based on the time zone they're in? Yeah. Whatever, Axe. I mean, he's just, he's being dramatic. So, they're probably in the Amazon, which Cassie mentions is full of poisonous animals and terrible things, and they have absolutely nothing. Rachel says something about, like, how they don't have food or water. They're basically screwed. And then Axe goes, we aren't alone. And he sees a humanoid creature in the bushes, but he can't quite get a lock on them. And then Tobias yells, duck! And so Jake ducks. And it's the kid that threw his spirit, Jake, in his vision. The same vision he had earlier. The same thing happened again. Um, so then Tobias is, like, berating himself for not being on guard. So he starts gaining altitude and, uh, saying, like, I can't believe I wasn't on the lookout, blah, blah, blah. Which Tobias does a lot in this book. Like, he goes between berating himself and berating everybody else. But, um... Yeah. Yeah, it was weird. So he starts gaining altitude, and then, uh, he sees the, the guys, the kids that threw spear hauling butt out of there. And then he notices a lot of hork coming their way. So he's yelling, get out of there. There's fuck ton of hork coming this way <laughs> and jake's trying to see if they can take the bug fighter like axe is there any way you can get this back online and axe goes well yeah but the programming got ripped out in the stereo rip and jake asks him like oh how long will that take to fix and axe is like well like 20 years uh it took him like 20 seconds to reprogram marco's dad's computer but it'd take him 20 years for a bug fighter i think because the bug fighter its programming got completely wiped out, so he has to start from zero, and that's much more advanced technology, as opposed to Marco's dad's computer that already existed, and he thought he was only changing, um, he thought it was, like, that game, remember? So he was, like, only changing, like, stuff that he thought was wrong. Okay. So I think he was already working within a program that was running. Like, Like, I can change words in HTML code in, like, two minutes, but to write a full HTML code to make a box with words in it takes me many minutes. Gotcha. That's how I'm guessing this goes. <laughs> Yay, programming. <laughs> Fuck programming. That wasn't real. I was being snarky. <laughs> Good. Yeah. So anyways, um, Jake says, if we can't take this bug fighter, can we disable it so it can't be flying out of here? And Axe goes, yeah. Jake says, do what you gotta do. And Rachel says, I'm staying back here to fight with you. And Jake goes, I'm not staying back here. Only Axe is. We lose as few people as possible. And they take off. And um, Jake makes that decision that it's better that Axe, like, one person dies than all of them. And this was where I think we really start to see Jake's doubts about himself being the leader. Like, he hated Mm -hmm. making that decision. And I think he immediately says he felt it was the wrong decision after he made it. Mm-hmm. So they take off, and it's now 1.48 p.m. The kids are walking through the jungle barefoot. They're being suffocated by the air and the greenery and everything around them, and everything hurts and stings and cuts and blah, blah, blah. So they're having issues. Bugs are descending and undescending upon them with no discernible pattern. And then from behind them, they hear this cry of Andalite, and they realize Axe was found. So Tobias starts berating Axe, 
and or berating Jake, saying like, "Jake, how could you? Why did you do this?" And then like, "Axe, buddy, watch your tail," kind of a thing. And um, I, I've, now I've mentioned it five to six to ten times, so I'm going to ask you, what do you think of Tobias's attitude here, specifically towards Jake leaving Axe behind? Well, like how Tobias's attitude so far in the book overall, where he's just very snarky it seems like and very like like almost like jake he can tell jake or maybe sense jake is doubting himself and he's just like preying upon that fear and that doubt (laughs) um i guess i read it more as tobias has had to sit out on so many missions and he's hated doing that Mm -hmm. and he's wanted to be in the thick of it but i think he's also just being reactionary out of stress that he's on this mission. He's in this strange place that, you know, he's very disadvantaged in. Mm-hmm. And so I think this is just him being like, I wanted to be on this mission. Oh, I hate this. And <laughs> I'm, I don't know how to deal with this. So that's, that's how I read it. Yeah. Okay. I like that way better. Cause that makes way more sense that he hasn't been a part of the team on missions so that when he finally is part of, like doing a a mission with the team that he doesn't gel as well as the other characters because he hasn't had that experience in the past. Yeah. Okay. That makes more sense. I was just really thrown off by like how bossy he was being. (laughs) All right. So Jake decides he and Rachel are going to go charging back. Um, Marco and Cassie are going to stay behind as backup. Rachel, of course, starts morphing to bear and rushes off while Jake is still morphing into tiger. And Jake realizes that he's suited for this jungle. He's ready to take on this jungle. The tiger is a perfect morph for it. But Rachel's grizzly bear is not. It's quickly Mm -hmm. winded. It's confused. Its senses aren't suited for a dense forest. She can't tell where things are coming from. So Jake kind of takes over. He's going to go find the hork And he has to make the choice of whether or not he's going to leave Rachel behind and go after Axe or wait for Rachel. And he just, he winds up leaving her and, like, going ahead. Tobias calls out to him, like, you know, it's 20 feet in front of you. So he takes off. Um, and that's when Jake meets up with a hork He takes out the hork pretty quickly. And then Tobias yells, Rachel needs help. So he goes back to her, and she is out cold in Grizzly Morph, and she is covered in ants. Ew. <sighs> yeah. The ant book resurfaces yet again. Once again, ants are the worst thing in the world. And I rest my case with this shit because this was disgusting Although, did, and terrifying. did you see my Twitter thing that I tagged Animorphs Anonymous in? No. So ants, when they wake up in the morning, they actually yawn and stretch. That's kind of cute. I know. Now I have a level of sympathy for ants. Oh, oh God. Evil fucks. Yeah. So anyways, I... I tagged our account on Twitter with that, and I believe I said, now I have a level of sympathy for ants. Oh, damn. Yeah. All right. Well, let's destroy that with this next description right here. 2.30 p.m. Rachel is covered in ants. They're swarming into her ears and her mouth and her eyes. They're oh. going to, like, they're eating her alive. They're carrying off bloody pieces of her bare yeah. fur and skin into the colony. Have you seen that video um, of the fox? It's like a time-lapse oh. video of a dead fox, and it just gets, like, consumed by ants. You mean the opening shot of True Blood? Yeah! Yeah. 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 You know what I'm talking about. I have seen that. It's pretty yeah. gross. That's what made me think of it, yeah. Yeah, that's okay. basically what it sounds like, is, like, just yeah. pieces being carried away. Gross. 
Jake yells to Tobias to find him another mound. Tobias does start to berate him for just a moment there, and then he realizes what the plan is and goes and finds the, the next ant mound. Um, at this point, Marco and Cassie show up as wolves. Jake stupidly asks them, is that you? Like there would be wolves in the forest otherwise. <laughs> and uh, they start demorphing, and Jake runs over to the other mounds. He, he pulled out, like, chunks of fur and blood and bloody skin from Rachel, and it was Marco that yelled at him, leave her alone, what are you doing? And Jake just ignores him and goes over to the other mound and, like, basically, like, Hansel and Gretel's them back to the mm-hmm. original ant mound. And once the opposing ants get there, they turns into an all-out war of the ant colonies fighting each other. And luckily, this plan kind of worked, and the ants start swarming back out of Rachel's mouth and, and ears and eyes and everything to fight the other ant colony. And, uh, yeah, it's not great. <laughs> so no. once the ants kind of start coming back out of her, Rachel starts coming too. And everybody's screaming at her, demorph, demorph, start demorphing. And as soon as she wakes up, she realizes she's covered in ants. Like, it's not good. So she starts demorphing, and they're telling her to start running for the stream. Yeah, the stream. And Rachel is just screaming, because this is like a literal fucking nightmare at this point. And they Mm -hmm. jump into the water. They say that they both kind of, Jake and Rachel submerge. Jake can't really see her in the murky waters. But they come back up. And after they come back up, Cassie's screaming at them to get out of the water, get out of the water. So they do, and, like, at the last possible second, like, right as they're getting out of the water, they realize that there's an entire school of angry piranha behind them snapping at them. And that's the moment where Rachel says, the rainforest should just be paved over. Fuck all of this. Oh, my God. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Right? Not good. It's fun. Not good. Not good at Not all. Good. But it no, doesn't no. end here. There's so much more. <laughs> <laughs> so, 3.09 p.m. Jake says they have to look for Axe, but they don't actually really look for Axe or have to go far because he's there in Monkey Morph. So they start talking about hork platoons, how the Axe has seen them, and he thinks there's like five hork to every platoon with a human handler. And uh, they think that this is so the handlers can identify whether or not a species is from Earth when they see or not from Earth, but from the rainforest when they see it, so that anything that's out of place, they know that that's an anamorph or an andalite bandit, as they think. So um, they decide the logical thing to do is to get some native species under their belt. So Axe thinks he can help them by being an attractive female monkey, which... Of course, now Marco's making jokes about somebody finally turned Axe into a monkey. Whatever that means. And, uh, it just gets weird. Jake and Marco finish the sentence at the same time. And everybody's kind of like, whoa, 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 what? And Jake's like, oh, so I have something to tell you. I've been having insane fucking flashbacks to this jungle thing. And since I got in the jungle, I've been having flashbacks to being at school. Thanks for mentioning that, Jake. Yeah, thanks for telling us that earlier. When shit went down. But Axe has a theory. And um, his theory is that if Jake is having flashbacks to the square dancing and from walking home, then they are still within the stereo rip and that these they exist simultaneously in the jungle at this moment and also back home. And uh, that's a problem because two versions of the same people can't exist at the same time. This causes an issue with the space-time continuum, and 
mutual destruction will eventually occur if they do not correct this issue. So Mm -hmm. Axe believes they have until the time that the serial rip occurred to be able to fix this, which is 8.54 exactly. So now they realize at 3.09 p.m. they have until 8.54 to figure out whatever they need to correct. This book takes place in five hours. About. God. Yes. So um, Jake... Uh, is not pressing Axe into telling him some other stuff. Axe kind of like, as he's telling them this, he's kind of withholding stuff, and Jake can tell, but he doesn't press him into it. And Jake mentions this is just another one of the mistakes he made on this mission just filled with mistakes. Every chapter basically ends with Jake saying he's fucked up, he keeps fucking up, Mm -hmm. and he doesn't know why he keeps fucking up. Mm. 3.40 p.m. The kids acquire monkeys. It isn't hard. It turns out X is indeed an attractive female monkey. And so when they're sitting quietly next to X, they all come down to investigate him. And the kids basically just, like, reach out and can touch the monkeys, assuming they're probably they've never seen, like, people before, I guess. They're they're okay with this. Yeah, they're okay with this. Um, and then there's plenty of jokes about Marco being a monkey and like something like Cassie says like, oh, we'll share like 98% of the same DNA. And Rachel goes, yeah, except for Marco who shares 99.9 of the same DNA. We all laugh because it's funny. So they morph into the monkeys uh, and things are going awesome. They're swinging through the trees. They're having a great time. They're playing with their prehensile tails, which act as a fifth arm and like can grab onto stuff and help them swing through the trees, blah, blah, blah. Um, they're having a fantastic time until Axe asks, where are we going? And they realize they have no clue where they're going. So they start laughing and then the monkeys start laughing and then they start laughing more. This is all fantastic. And then Jake's like, well, I guess we should be going to the blade ship. And, uh, that kind of immediately hits home because as he looks down, he can see the five Horkbizer platoon with the human handler. So they're like, we'll follow those guys. Eventually, they've got to go back to the blade ship. 4.23 p.m. The kids are following the Horkbizer and the human through the forest when the human, who is just, like, gasping for air, exhausted, sweating, not having the time of his life, he is fed up, and he sees, like, a some sort of boar in the forest, and he goes, that's that pig thing. That's probably unnatural. Shoot it. So the Horkbizer starts shooting it, And then he looks up and he sees Jake and he goes, and I don't like that monkey. Shoot that monkey. And this leads to like basically this insane scene of all the Horkbizer just shooting down like monkeys. They shoot down a sloth with a baby. They shoot like trees. They're basically like downing branches at this point. And then a giant snake drops onto one of the Horkbizer and it's Visor 3. And he's (laughs) berating them like... Do you not understand that in this forest, when you shoot draken beams, they can go very far? Did you think a tree was an andalite? Do you not know that the bug ship is only a hundred yards from here? Did you not know this? And uh, apparently they did not, or they didn't care at that point. And uh, so he's basically just freaking out at them, which is pretty funny. And he lets them know they're idiots, and then he starts morphing back to his own andalite body, or his body that he's stolen. And uh, he starts threatening the human controller person with his tail blade, of course. And then he uh, basically starts monologuing about how they need both of the ships to get back to their own timeline. And then Jake realizes another mistake. They have the computer chip disabling the bug fighter. And he realizes at this point it can become a literal bargaining chip. 
but likely Visor 3 will just kill them all once he realizes they have it, and there's nothing they can do. Yep. So um, this leads to, to another long string of issues that Jake has created by disabling this bug fighter. He's in the darkest timeline. It's really rough, but <laughs> I'll save it till the end because I I definitely want to talk about this inner dialogue that Jake has and like all of his doubts mm-hmm. that he's having right now, but I think... Um, it's a good summary once we get to the end. Like, it'll, it'll be good to have all the pieces before we talk about it. Unless you don't agree. I do agree. I was just shocked that Visor 3 didn't morph a cat. <laughs> he, he showed up as a snake. <laughs> yeah, it was his one chance. Yeah, he kind of morphed a jaguar or something. Although I think jaguars are nocturnal, so... And it was daytime. Yeah. So maybe he just didn't find one. I thought it was just, like... A commentary about how he was like a snake. He was a snaky person. Like Snape. Like Snape. Or Vol- Voldemort. <laughs> yeah, like Nagini. 5.25pm <laughs> rolls around, and the kids decide to drop back from all of this chaos and demorph. Um, they return to their human and Andalite selves when suddenly they are surrounded by humans. Humans with black eyes and black hair, and one of them is the kid that threw the spirit, Jake. They're terrified. And part of this is that they have no idea how many people are around them. It could be 20 people, it could be 60, it could be 80. They do not know because these people melt melt in and out of the shadows of the forest. This tribe here that has melted in and have them surrounded, have them terrified, and uh, then the leader of the group puts down his spear and tries to communicate with Jake. So it sounds like he tries like a different, like their own native language maybe first, or like a language that nobody's in the group has heard and then they try like a spanish or a portuguese and that's when the kids start getting the idea mm-hmm. and then there's this really um interesting kind of one-off thing from marco that they don't hit on again which was that marco's grandmother spoke only spanish and his mom spoke fluent spanish because he had to communicate when they were younger mm-hmm. and so marco's like i know like 50 words but i don't i don't really know a lot like classic americanized kid mm-hmm. but um it was just interesting to like get that little detail about Marco because we obviously we know his mom is a controller, we know who his mom is, but like we don't often get those like familial views of her, I think. Mm-hmm. Like most of it is despairing that she's dead or talking about her now as Visor One. Yeah. It's just interesting to, to see that. Yeah, it was the first time she was kind of mentioned as just casually. And it not being like very angst-ridden yeah angst-ridden there we go that's better yeah so anyways um they're trying to communicate and basically the kids get the idea that they think that jake is the the spirit of the monkey because they saw him demorph and they even accept acts although at first they say like he's diablo and mal and of course we we know that that's the devil and jake's when he thinks they're talking about acts he goes no no not him no diablo no mal and the leader then draws in the ground an approximation of a hork And then Jake goes, yes, Diablo. <laughs> so the hork are the devils. And Jake, the spirit of the monkey in the forest, is going to help. Um, and then the leader of that tribe introduces himself as Polo. And Marco has that awesome joke of, that's either his name or his favorite brand of shirt. And uh, Jake then reintroduces himself to Polo. Then we get this scene straight out of a movie where they're standing in the in this dense forest jungle 
The skies are presumably gloomy and thundering overhead, and all of a sudden they open up into this pouring rain, and Jake and Polo are standing face to face, and Polo reaches out and kind of, like, grabs Jake's arm, his forearm, and, like, that classic, like, think Lord of the Rings, right? Where they grab each other's arms, Mm -hmm. and that's, like, their sealed pact that they're going to fight together. Yeah. In this moment with the rain pouring down on them from from the sky, they are sealed together in this meeting of the leaders of two separate groups. And then the tribe just melts back into the forest and disappears, leaving the Animorphs alone. That's when Jake kind of crashes. Like, he's been fighting, as he says, for about 24 hours straight. He's been morphing, he's been thinking, there's been adrenaline, and he just is exhausted. And shortly thereafter, they all collapse because they're just so exhausted. And Jake, in this moment, is wishing that somebody would take this leadership role away from him or tell him, like, listen, you fucked up one too many times. You can't do this anymore. Mm -hmm. He's just looking for somebody to berate him aside from himself, himself. And Cassie comes over and is just nice to him. Like, she just starts saying, like, kind things to him. And Jake puts it, she's being kind to me, and that's fine because I need some kindness right now. And what she tells him is that seeing him and Polo together really showed her that they were the same, that they were both leaders of their tribes doing the best they can and making the hard decisions. And -hmm. with that, Jake passes out. Aw, they're in love. Yeah, they like like each other. (laughs) 6.49 p.m., Jake wakes up with a jolt. There's a jaguar right in his face, and he realizes this is the same as his vision. He can see the glittering eyes and, like, just the barest glint of the the big teeth. Fangs. There we go. <laughs> fangs. I didn't write it down. Big teethy thingies. But his fangs. So he realizes he can see his fangs. And uh, he thinks he may have peed his pants. He's not sure because he's soaking wet from the rain. And then he realizes there is one thing he can do. So he slowly reaches up and starts acquiring the jaguar. He pets the kitty. He pets the kitty. (laughs) It goes into the trance, luckily, while he's acquiring it. It shuts its eyes. And that's when he kind of is going, guys, guys, get up. And he tells them each to acquire it one at a time. And the last person to acquire it, of course, is Axe, who says he can outrun the thing. And so he gets to be, like, again, the whipping boy. He gets to be (laughs) the last one out of there, which Uh... sucks. Poor Axe. Yeah, poor Axe. But they make it out safely. And Cassie does mention, like, he probably wouldn't have taken you out because, like, you're a little too big. You're not quite his normal prey size. That's... And they're like, yeah. Uh, not really helpful. No, well, but in Planet Earth 2, there's, like, a horrific battle between, like, a caiman and a jaguar. And the jaguar just, like, destroys the caiman and, like, drags it off. And the caiman's, like, a lot... Not a lot bigger, but as big as the jaguar. So he could have easily taken Jake. Yeah, it easily could have taken him, especially because he has, like, no real natural defenses. Yeah. Humans are just meat sacks waiting to be taken out. Blood bags. Blood bags. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, I totally believe the jaguar could have taken him. No problem. It's really hard to say jaguar, not to say jaguar, after so many years of listening to Top Gear. Jag. Like that? The jaguar. The jag. I, I could say it like that. Yeah. I'm not gonna. <laughs> the baby Jesus. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Anyways, um, the kids realize they're all blind and helpless in the middle of this f- j- 
just freaking giant jungle that's trying to kill them. And so they all decide to morph the Jaguar. And Tobias decides to get up above the canopy because that's all he can do. He's also blind. And uh, as Tobias gets up there, they're, they're morphing. Their sight's all coming online. At the same time, Tobias gets up above the canopy and he says, I can see so well up here. There's like a quarter moon and like a million stars and axe goes you know there's more than a million stars right and tobias is like kind of giddy he's like yeah i know but still <laughs> look at it's so pretty um and then tobias knows notices that there's a place up ahead where it's a little lit up he's like maybe it's a town or a village something like that and then somebody else i think it's cassie mentions like oh no they're rebuilding the ships it's probably the ships up ahead that's their site and they're like well we don't really have any other option. Let's go check it out. And then Marco says, go into the light. <laughs> and then they start talking more than they normally do. Normally it's a throwaway. This time they get into it because they're saying how going into the light in the show that they're referencing it from meant going to death. And this is foreshadowing. Oh my God. Right? Didn't make that connection. Oh no. 6.50 p.m.? I wrote 6.05, but that's before. But they woke up at 6.49. I know. Did I fuck it up or did the book? Let's find out. Ooh, fact-checking. Fact-checking. Live. For your pleasure. <laughs> what is this? 2.30? I gotta get past this. Dun-dun-dun. I have to move past this. Okay, 6.49 p.m. They woke up to the Jaguar. Bum, bum, bum. 6.05 p.m. Book fuck up. Oh no! She probably meant seven oh five. She probably did mean seven oh five. Interesting. Let's see what the next chapter is. Seven thirty six. Welp. Whoops! Your books are wrong, kids. Yes. All right. So assuming it's seven oh five p.m. because this is going in chronological order now. Right. It's just the over. It's not like we're jumping back and forth. So the kids are all walking through the rainforest as jaguars. And they're amazed by everything they see in here. They're like, these flowers are beautiful. There's snakes that are giant and snakes that are small. And now that they're able to walk through it with no fear, they're really appreciating the absolute beauty of the place where they are and how just incredible just the broad spectrum of insects and animals and plants and everything is around them. And that's when they kind of have their like moment of realization that like this is a place that we want to save. And there, it's Cassie that brings them out of it and says, we have to go to the blade ship now. They're saying, Cassie, of all the people here, why are you not enjoying this? And she gets like, in this case, on what I find to be her, her most compelling, like tree hugging mother earth moment here, mm -hmm. where she's like, all of this is exactly what we're fighting to save from the Yerks. All of this is important. And while I'm still alive and while I'm still fighting, this isn't going to fall into their hands. Normally, like, when Cassie gets on that stuff, I totally agree with her. I'm, like, big time about saving animals, saving the environment, stop the pollution, stop using plastics, all that shit. I'm on board with everything she wants, but the way that she says it is kind of like you want to roll your eyes. But in this moment, it was, like, just such a badass and powerful thing when they're all in awe of nature and then Cassie is just, like this is what the fuck I'm fighting for. And it's it's a nice throwback to earlier when Hork Bajir and the human controller were going postal and just shooting everything in sight. 
And yeah. everyone else was like, oh shit, let's get out of here. And Cassie's like, no, let's stop them. They're killing all the animals. Abs-fucking-lutely. It was just a cool moment. Mm-hmm. They do have to get back to the blade ship. So at 7.36 p.m., the kids get to the blade ship. And they're just sitting there kind of on the outskirts of this lit up campsite thing. And they're trying to discuss the plan. They can see in the ship that Visor 3 is in there through like one of the windows. And they're like, what do we do? What are we going to, what's going to happen? And it's not going well. There's no good answers. And Jake is just losing it because he doesn't know what to do. And he can't make this decision. And he feels trapped. And Marco says like, you're the leader. You have to do this. And Jake says, I'm, I don't want to be the leader. I never asked for this. I don't want to make this decision. I don't want to be leader anymore. And then he kind of says, Cassie, Rachel, Marco, do you guys have any solutions for this? Do you have any answers? And Marco just responds, you can't lose it now. We need you. It's just bad. It's just going bad. Jake is losing his mind. And then Cassie, ever unhelpful, goes, why was it only Jake that has these visions? And that's when we realized what Axe was holding back earlier. So Jake presses Axe for his guess, and Axe keeps going, remember, I didn't pay attention in school that day, there was a game later, and there was a girl, and so I didn't pay attention. <laughs> God. That's, come on, Axe. Damn it, um, Axe. Right? And Jake's like, just give me your guess. And Axe goes, it might be that you, Jake, are the only real one here, and the rest of us are just memories. And that, like, sends a shiver down everybody's collective spine here because that means everybody but Jake has died. They, of course, don't want to be dead. Tobias busts in at this moment with the fact that Visor 3's head in the window just shimmered for a second like it was a projection, and Jake realizes once again that he fucked up and did the wrong thing. It's a trap! Of course, Visor 3 knew they'd be back there before the Serio rip closed, and he has sprung this amazing trap. 8 p.m., the Visor comes up and says something about five little kitties and a bird. This will be easy. <laughs> and the ground comes alive with the visor's vines. He's some giant vine octopode monster thing. And uh, the, he's all over the Animorphs. Like, it is distressing how quickly they succumb to this. Like, Jake is just managing to keep out of his reach and, like, jumping around like crazy. Probably because he has the most experience in the cat morph, that he can lean into those instincts a little... Mm. Didn't think about that. Yeah, it's. I think it's a little more fluent with him than with the other characters here. And um, I only mention it because earlier in the book, Jake does mention that nobody else has done Cat before, and so he's the only one that was, like, ready for those Jaguar instincts as they sprung up. Jaguar. Jaguar. <laughs> Jake's diving out of the way and starts to get free, and just, like, one after the other, Visor 3 snaps up all the other animals. So he gets Axe first, and he gets thrown into the monster's mouth, followed by, I think it was Marco, Cassie, Rachel. And he has them all bound, and they're all, like, suffocating. And Tobias says, I can't sit and watch this. So he tries to dive in and get them out of there. And, of course, immediately gets snapped up and thrown into the same trap. And uh, Visitor 3 hasn't killed them yet. He just has them all, like, bound inside his creature's body, inside a body part of some sort that he mentions that I did not write down because it was very weird crop type deal here this is vor he's just eating them <laughs> his i mean that's one of his big things is just to eat people yeah he's big into that he is really big into that but yeah so he has them all the next thing jake knows is that there's spears being thrown at visor three but visor three is very easily deflecting them or catching them he has lightning quick reflexes so he's like 
getting these out of here. But once Jake sees that Polo and his tribe are attacking, he gets he stops feeling sorry for himself and he gets a plan. So even while he's running, he starts morphing, goes back to human, and then he realizes it's not vines, it's branches, and goes to monkey. So once he's in monkey morph, he starts swinging through all of the vines of Visor 3s, and every time Visor 3 tries to get him, he's like swung out of the way, jumped into space, is dodging in and out. And then Visor 3 says, this is your final form? This is pathetic. <laughs> and Jake thinks like, maybe so, but watch this. And so he calls to Polo, your spear in thought speak. And Polo like flashes understanding. I assume this is because with Andalite technology and the way that thought speak works, it kind of transfers the mm. ideas instead of actual words. Sure. So I think that's why this worked. And uh, so Polo throws his spear to Jake. Jake catches it and drives it home into the weak spot in Visor 3's head, <laughs> question mark. Mm. And then suddenly, flash! The end of the chapter. 8.19 p.m. Jake botches the landing as a peregrine falcon and goes tumbling on the ground. Cassie writes him and asks if he's okay. He's already a little heavy, so she just kind of helps him up and he starts demorphing. <laughs> They're gathering behind the Safeway, getting ready to go on this mission. <laughs> In case you couldn't tell, we flash back in time to where they were. So Rachel says, are we doing this or what? And Jake actually giggles and says, or what? And then sends them all home. (laughs) And uh, the next day, Jake meets up with Axe and he starts to tell him this whole story to see what Axe has to say about it. And Axe didn't believe him until he says, Serio Rip. And then Axe was like, oh my God, this really happened. This is amazing. And Jake says... Okay, so now I've told you this whole story. Why did this work out? Why did I get this second chance? And Axe says, I have a theory. Jake's like, I thought you would. And he goes, I would not have told you this, but the issue of the stereo rip was that the two versions of Jake existed at the same time. So by eliminating one version of themselves, they corrected the issue with the stereo rip, which was that there was two versions of the same thing existing in the universe at the same time. Mm -hmm. So basically... Jake realized that his final decision of all of them dying going on the stupid mission was the right one because by all of them dying, it snapped reality back into place and snapped Jake back into his body and it saved all of them. Jake's like, he's still beating himself up over like, I am so lucky I got the second chance, but I fucked up every single part of that mission. I made the wrong decision over and over and over It's sheer luck that I got this second chance. And Axe actually comforts him in this moment and says, Elfanger used to say that a leader's job is to be lucky. And that's kind of where they end it. They're like, let's just hope Jake's luck doesn't run out. Axe says something like, yes, Prince Jake. And Jake says, don't call me Prince. And then Axe goes, yes, Prince Jake. Yay! Question. Yes. So the, the double versions of everyone... Were mm-hmm. only applied to everybody who fell through the stereo rip. Yes. All of the Horkajir and human controllers that came with who were still alive by the time that Visser 3 and all the Animorphs died mm-hmm. ceased to exist. Yes. Okay. Okay, cool. And we can assume that the reason. Well, we can't assume anything. I will say nothing more than that. Oh, damn it. Damn it. <laughs> you thought you were going to get me, but no. Well, it's like, okay, and I assume Visser 3 was killed because Jake stabbed him in the weak spot. 
with the poison spear. What we assume, what, yeah. What we assume. Um, I guess, and I wasn't exactly clear on if the other Animorphs were already dead when Visser 3 had them in his body. I think so, because they cut out all thought speak. Even though Visser 3 said, I'm only holding them, I'm not going to kill them. The thought speak Uh lines all went dead before that. Like, nobody was talking to Jake when he was morphing back into a monkey and swinging through the vines and everything. It was Jake on his own. Okay. I actually, when um, they were first talking about the stereo rip earlier, um, Mm -hmm. when they were monkeys, I kind of assumed that, like, one set of kids had to die for the other to survive or else they both would be destroyed. I assume that's what happened, that everybody died right before the the time limit was up. Yeah. But it was more implied. It wasn't specifically like, and then Visser 3 whapped Tobias out of the air and he died on the ground. Like, it, it wasn't explained, like, overtly. So, I was just clarifying. We can assume that's what happened. I, yeah, I believe that's what happened. And of course, like, when Visser 3 died in that morph, which is what we assume happened to him, he would take the others with him because he was suffocating them in his body. Like, he didn't mean to kill them, he was just trying to hold them, but he accidentally killed them? Yeah. I think that's the other possibility. You dick! Visser 3! Yeah, he is a dick. He truly is. So, this whole book, to me, was overtly about Jake still coming into himself as a leader, and still... It was almost like a, a quick tutorial about how to be a leader, by him fucking up every single decision and then getting a do-over at the end. Mm-hmm. So what did you think about that? Like, did do you agree? Do you disagree? Did you get something else from it? Hmm. I mean, it was convenient that none of it mattered in the end and he got to, like, yeah. take all of his experiences and learn from that, which I think will make him a better leader in the future. But, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. It's, of course, never mentioned again because he's the only one that experienced it. Or it's, like, it's only mentioned by Jake because he's the only one that went through it. So none Mm -hmm. of the other Animorphs are really going to do a callback to this moment of, like, remember when you fucked this up or fucked that up or did this or that? Like, it's really all within Jake and all within his own head. I think it really... It was an interesting thing to see because Jake, up until this point seem to have the best answers when he makes split-second gut decisions. He Mm -hmm. doesn't always have the best answers when he has time to think over the decision or even not necessarily when they vote on a decision. Like, that whole thing with the Elemist, like, was made by a gut decision instead of them voting about it, which was, like, what, a third of the book was I'm struggling with this choice. (laughs) Yeah. So, um... It was interesting to see here that even when Jake is making those quick decisions and feeling like I it's of course like the logical thing when he thinks about it is to leave Axe behind and only lose one person and only like you know let Axe kind of be the scapegoat here risk less of the team but he feels like he fucked up that decision. And if he made that decision using only his gut, I think he would have said more people stay and fight and split the team into mm-hmm. two groups like he did later on. Like when mm-hmm. he and Rachel go charging back. I think that if he had made that decision with his gut instead of like logic, it would have been a better outcome for him. And I think that's really what informs him going forward. Yeah, that he should trust his gut more instead of relying on logic. I think so. 
And then the hmm. other really frustrating part of this book was the fact that we just went on this whole adventure and none of it happened. We're in the same spot we are at the end of book 10. Yeah, so I'm wondering if if the bug fighter, the special prototype bug fighter that they worked so hard to hijack is going to come back later as a consequence. Kind of like, I don't know. Yeah, because ultimately all this book really accomplished was you know, growth for Jake. It didn't really help the other characters and it didn't really move the plot forward as far as, like, you know, victories or defeats in the war. Although, why does it have to be... And this is, again, playing devil's advocate, but um, why does it have to do anything other than moves, move Jake's character development forward? I mean, it doesn't. And based on how good K.A. Applegate is at foreshadowing, like, again, yeah. I think this is going to benefit them in the long run and this is supposedly incidental thing that happened to jake is going to pay off later yeah and since we visit this like every jake book so far why break this streak now but i again liked the development with like he is so solid on his team now there's several times throughout the book that he mentions like it's when Rachel and Marco stop fighting that the problems, like, that there's a problem going on. It's when Cassie stops being in awe of nature that something's going wrong. So it's like, mm -hmm. he's still really good at checking in with his team. And I liked that it gave him some perspective on what it would be like to have Tobias in the team, even though this is the first mission Tobias went on. As we already agreed on, he didn't really gel with the team so much. And then, at the end of the day, Tobias still has never actually gone on a mission with them because we just undid everything that we did. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's interesting. I just thought of hmm. it. Oh. That's probably going to be beneficial in the long run because I feel like Tobias is maybe even more so than Rachel, the most difficult member of the team to control. Mm-hmm. His same desire as Rachel to go, like, running headlong into battle if it's to save his friends, but also his particular brand of, like, weakness slash strength with, like, how desperate he is and how, like, much he's internally fighting with himself. So it's probably good that he has that perspective on it. My question is, moving forward, I know you can't answer this, but <laughs> so Jake tells Axel about all of this at the end of this book. Do the others eventually find out what Jake went through? Or is he going to withhold that as well? I know you can't say anything, but... It shrug. <laughs> <laughs> I, it'll just be interesting to see, like, moving forward, if Jake kind of bases some of his decisions on what he went through in terms of the other people. I don't know if I'm explaining myself well. Yeah, well, and would he want them to know? Because... Like, he wants to be so strong as a leader because he needs to be strong to keep the team together, to keep them encouraged. As he said at the very beginning of, like, this book and throughout the book, he needs to be strong for them. Would he want the team to know about a mission where he made every single decision incorrectly other than mm -hmm. dying? Mm-hmm. He might want to keep that one to himself. You know, technically they could have died at any point in the rift and have been okay, right? Theoretically, if they all died and that snapped them back to reality, yeah, they could... Would, I'm guessing they all had to die, and therein was the special sauce here. Like, 
it couldn't have been like oh marco got bit by a poison snake and died now but like so and so was still alive like they all had to die for this to happen i think yeah because if one was still there there's still a disparity in the timelines right and yeah. this is, of course, ignoring all the non-important characters like the hork and the humans and everybody that just snapped out of existence. Ah! Uh, I have a theory, but I can't tell you. Damn it. Damn it, Alex. At a later date, maybe. Okay. Well, there, there's, there's other plots that run along this similar line of thinking, like these similar sci-fi tropes. So we will kind of in a sense get to revisit the themes at least in mm-hmm. a, at a more advanced stage and see how they play out then we'll get some more insight into this later on i must say though for a book that contained this kind of like alternate timeline coexistence thing i thought it was handled very cleanly because while i was reading this um i don't know if you read harry potter and the cursed child Yes. Yes, I have. Like, I hated the way that they handled all of that shit. Because it just got so convoluted and so... It was too much. And there were so many plot holes because it was handled not well. And that that was my biggest beef with Harry Potter and the Cursed Child was if you're gonna do this, you either have to do it super well Or you gotta just, like, you gotta tie it all up at the end. Or else there's gonna be these kind of disparities and it's not gonna ultimately work, I think. So, that being said, even though this was kind of a cliched kind of sci-fi trope, it was handled well. Yeah, and I think it was handled well because of, like, the rules that were set out to begin with. It wasn't Mm -hmm. like... There's a way to do the whole, you know, time is wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey thing. Like, you know, Doctor <laughs> Who confusing timelines overlap each other. There's no clear answer. Mm-hmm. When you have two decades to play with that and wrap it up. But, like, when you have one single book that's 160-some-odd pages to get this whole thing down, I liked that she just set up the rules. Like, I have a theory. We have to be back there by this time. We have this mm-hmm. many hours to fix it, and then we have to recreate the time like that was their whole mission it never got more complex than that it never brought in like you know oh but what if there's three versions of us and like they didn't try to recreate the stereo rip miss the thing by one minute and then all of a sudden there's like alternate fractured dimensions where we like it could have gotten so complex and she Uh was like no these are the rules and it was solved (laughs) Yeah, I like so that. So I appreciated that. Yeah. So my my apprehension about the theme of this book ended up being okay for me in the end. Yeah, I was I got so apprehensive about this thinking about it because I'm like, oh man, it really is like an overdone thing, and it really is like, oh god, we we've seen this plot a hundred times, but reading it because of the way it was written, it did not upset me like Mm -hmm. i thought it would conceptually (laughs) yeah it was fine it was fine and probably one of my favorite parts of this whole book was the part where they turned into the jaguars and were walking through the forest and like they had that like 180 (laughs) and then my second favorite part was jake like fighting visor three and just getting that confidence back after spending the whole book berating himself do you remember in fern gully during the scene where they're like on their little date 
through the magical rainforest. Yeah, like shitty pop song is playing over the whole thing. Yeah, <laughs> I was just having flashbacks to that oh, while they were no. walking through the forest, and everything's like iridescent and beautiful. And there's a shitty pop song playing in the meta. Oh God, that was such a '90s trope. I loved it. Yes, it was. I wonder if she was watching Fern Gully when she wrote that. Yeah, she's like, I need inspiration. <laughs> Robin Williams. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Overall, I enjoyed it. Probably of all the books we've read so far, maybe my least favorite other than Megamorphs. Mm-hmm. But I would agree with that. I still enjoyed it. Yeah. What's been your favorite so far? As far as my favorite book, I don't... Um, probably... I, I, I kind of want to say the most recent Cassie book with the skonks. That might be just because it's very recent in my memory. That's fair, though. That's a good book. It had all my favorite things. Skonks and and woofs. And Visor 3 in a pool of grape juice. Yeah. <laughs> what about you? Hmm. So far. Hmm. 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 Don't know. That's really difficult. Like. Because you've read the whole series. <laughs> partially, yeah. But like these early books, like these are really, really great. Like I truly love all of these early books. When you get, like, into, like, the middle of the series is where things kind of can go off the rails sometimes. But then the ending is just so freaking strong, too. And there's so many arcs I love that are coming up. Mm. But of the books we've read, probably the one that stands out the most to me and that I really, really love because of what it introduces is Marco's book where he finds out his mom is Visor 1. Yeah. That was just such a mind-blowing twist early on, and the whole thing with Marco, like, going back and forth between, like, the humor and, like, how terrible things were, and then having to, like, have all these moments with his dad where, like, shit just, like, flips on him. I don't know. I just, that book, like, I think that was probably one of my favorites, Mm -hmm. plot-wise. You know, we haven't even gotten to... The meat of the books. I would scratch <laughs> the surface. I know. We're still in, like, the introductory phase. Like, I feel like we're just, if we're going, like, through the sort of curve of, like, the overall plot of, like, the introduction to the meat of it to, like, the conclusion and then to the wrap-up. Like, we're just at the start of that slope as we mm-hmm. go into, like, the plot. I'm really looking forward to the next Tobias book. Because this is our second go-around with him. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, fuck, that reminds me. I totally forgot about the Pemelites. That was such a good book, too. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Um, It had puppies in it. It had lots of puppies in it. Yeah, that was a good book as well. Both Marco books. And, of course, then again, Rachel with the Elemist was another fantastic book, and we got to see some interactions with her and Tobias. Oh, yeah, that, that was a really good book. That was a really good book. That was, like, one of the books that, like, changed me the most, I think. Like, it, it, like, one of the more insightful books for me, I should say. Just as far as, like, we had that really good conversation about Rachel's character development and, like, why I was having such a problem, like, reconciling her, her anger, etc. So, that's a good yeah, book, for I sure. Yeah, I liked that. I like that one, too. Oh, they're all so good. 
They really are. And even Megamorphs, Marco drove a truck. How can you not enjoy that? <laughs> They're very memorable. <laughs> it was extremely book. memorable. And I really like that I was expecting Megamorphs to be kind of like a one-off adventure, but they mention it throughout the Straight On series. So it, yeah. it wasn't just like a, a fun little one-off side story fan fiction thing. It was like part of the series. So with the next one coming up, like the next um, special book we're doing coming up, which will be the uh, Andalite Chronicles, that's going to be almost the opposite where like the what happens in the Andalite Chronicles informs the rest of the series and it builds the world out and it makes like the story so much richer, but the kids don't like really mention it. And yet so much of like the actions kind of like harken back to that book. Mm hmm. So I think you'll really enjoy that one as well. And then the second Megamorph series is like one of my favorite books of all time. But okay. it definitely does not do anything for the series at all. Oh, no. <laughs> like, they do mention it again. It's really just to, like, fulfill. I think it, it was really more f because of the age group she was writing to and because the particular interests of that age group that's what that book was about as opposed to being like an actual like Megamorphs 1 or Analyte Chronicles or like any of the Chronicles that inform the series more <laughs> so that makes me think it's a little more like slice of life kind of fun frolicky times oh god no <laughs> no okay <laughs> never mind I so it would be a spoiler to read you the title, but because it is the title of the book, would you like me to let you know what the title of Megamorphs 2 is? Sure. It's Megamorphs 2 in the time of the dinosaurs. Oh, okay, 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 that's the dinosaur <laughs> book. Of course that's your favorite. Yeah. I mean, that's a spoiler, but, like, it's the title, so if you read the Excel document with our recording schedule, yeah, it's in it's, there. Yeah, it's not a spoiler, it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God, I'm just imagining them, like, going to a museum and being like, hey, we can morph dinosaurs, and they steal some, like, I don't know, bones or something and absorb the DNA, I don't know. A night at the museum, like, fun Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but they all turn into fucking dinosaurs. <laughs> oh, man. Ooh. Unless they so go back funny. in time again, which is also possible, I guess. Did you have any more closing thoughts about The Forgotten? Is that what the name of this book is called? I believe it is. Let me check. I have it right here. Yes, The Forgotten. I remembered! <laughs> you didn't forgotten! Yay, memory <laughs> jokes. I didn't remember. I was part of the stereo rip and I died early, so. How did you die? I probably, like, tripped over a root and, like laid down with my back being so broken because I'm not a child that I couldn't stand up again and I'm like oh, I've fallen and I can't get up and like nobody came to help me so I was just eaten by something oh no hopefully not <laughs> ants that would be a terrible way to oh, die God. that would be the worst way I wonder if like the ants that were carrying the bits of Rachel flesh like when she morphed back if those just kind of disappeared and they were like what the fuck where did it go Oh, yeah. You know? Although, never mind. Okay. I don't think they would have, but I will withhold any reasons as to why I don't think they would have until later. Alrighty. Fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> but yeah, that would be hilarious. Like, <laughs> was it 
It was in Harry Potter, right? Where, like, when they learned to, like, replicate the food and then they'd eat the food, but then it would, like, disappear out of their stomachs so they'd still be hungry because... Nope, that was X-Men. Sorry, not not Harry Potter. It was X-Men. There's an X-Men. Oh. Um, his name is Jamie, I believe. Uh, he was in one of the movies, but, like, minor character. But he can multiply himself, like, infinitely. So I think yeah. it was an X-Men evolution where they had him, like, multiply desserts infinitely, and they oh. ate them, but, like, once he, like, sucked back into, like, his one person, all the desserts disappeared from, like, their stomachs, and they were starving. Oh, interesting. I remember that guy, but... Yeah! yeah. Okay. Yeah. I should watch Evolution again. It's so good! It is good. I mean, it's just... I love the the teenage characters of them. I love the whole... Like, we've talked about, like, the, the sirens when, like, Rogue and everybody create that all-girl power group. And I was yeah. like, oh, I wish Cassie and Rachel did that. Yeah. I love that episode. Yeah, me too. There's so many good ones. Those are my closing thoughts. Okay. <laughs> Where can people find us? Uh, we can be found. Uh, oh, God, I'm really bad at the social media list. Um, Facebook? Facebook. I'll just, I'll, let me run yeah. with Facebook for a second because I have an announcement to make about All right. Facebook. Cool. We have a Facebook page that you can like. It's Animorphs Anonymous on Facebook. But we now also have a group, and it is the Andalite Bandalites. You can join our group. I will accept you into our group because I am in charge of accepting people. I believe it's facebook.com slash group slash Animorphs Anonymous. But you can also just search Andalite Bandalites because nobody has the speech impediments I do. And it's <laughs> its own page. <laughs> so please join our group. There's uh, not too many people right now in that group. So join it. And there's like polls and shit that's really fun that Casey put up. And um, for some reason, I got downvoted to hell by saying Grizzly Bear was the best battle morph. Oh, also, our friend David said Wolf was the best battle morph, and I think he's wrong. David. David. David, even I didn't say Wolf. Come on. I, I know, right? I was like, I didn't want to ask him for an explanation and call him out to the group. So instead, <laughs> I'm going to do it on our podcast that he listens to. <laughs> Shit. Humiliate you in front of a ton of people instead of just like seven people. Right? Instead of the seven people in our group, now anybody who downloads this will know. Oh, my God. <laughs> Sorry, David. I love you. I <laughs> love you, David. Oh, I'm making a heart with my hands. Anyways, that's our Facebook group. Uh, we also post other like fun videos and stuff in there. Yeah, just come hang out. Hang come out hang with out. us. We're lonely. We're lo- we're lonely in our group, and we'll also like be doing some cool like promotions and like stuff soon too that you can keep an eye out for. All sorts of shit. All sorts of shit. So we can also be found on Twitter, which is your domain. Yes, at Animorphs Anon. Yes, and Instagram at Animorphs Anonymous. And our website, AnimorphsAnonymous.com. Yes, and our email address, which is AnonymousAnimorphs at gmail.com. Give it back, Yerks! Give it back, you know the one we want! We're gonna say that every single time, aren't we? Probably, because I'm still bitter about it. Oh, we didn't make a flying saucers joke. We were in the jungle and not at the sharing. <laughs> That's right. We didn't get to make a single sharing joke. In fact, they didn't even mention the sharing in this book. Yeah, they didn't. And there was a flying saucer in this book. So they there do was. have flying saucers. Yeah. 
How dare they? That's why we couldn't make the joke, because there were flying saucers. What else? Um, if you don't like the the podcast service that you're listening to our podcast on, we can be found at iTunes, Google Play, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, and Podbean. Is that all? Uh, podcast Republic is another one that we're on. Um, I think we've been on there for a while. It's just they automatically pick it up from our RSS, and I didn't have to do that one. <laughs> I did no work for that gotcha. one, but we can be found there. Okay, well, just search Animorphs Anonymous Podcast mm-hmm. on your favorite search engine, and right. you'll probably find us somewhere. If you search Animorphs Anonymous in Google, a bunch of uh, links pop up. If you do it in Google Image Search, there's still some images associated with us in there. So, you know, whatever your preferred... Oh, okay. If Google Images is your preferred search engine for information, we're there. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. That's everything. That's all she wrote. Let's uh, All right. blow this podcast up and go back to the time when it never happened. Oh, God. I'm really afraid Audacity is going to quit out on me now, and none of it will have ever happened. Oh, my God. Okay, that's it. Bye, guys. Bye. All right, bye.